You are listening to From Sobriety to Recovery with Jesse Mogul, episode 162. Let's get to the show. Welcome back to From Sobriety Recovery. I'm your host, Jesse Mogul, and I am in addiction recovery. Boy, oh boy. Oh boy, oh boy. Another amazing episode of our show. It's so great to be here. It has been a chaotic week, to say the least, with the production of The Hub complete and this month's course released. So much went into that that I look back on it and I think probably overdid it again. Originally, it was going to be just um, six or seven different trainings all around the six human needs, and it expanded into Dilt's Pyramid and Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs, and then the workbooks just got super awesome and dove and super deep, and there's amazing questions. You are going to walk out of this month's course absolutely understanding your unconscious motivational drivers. And so I thought I was going to talk about that today. I thought I was going to talk a little bit more about unconscious motivational drivers as they're, you know, what we utilized in our uh, pursuit of our addiction, right? It doesn't seem sometimes like we pursued it, but if you look back at the way you got into your addiction, right? We, we were child, childhood, we had our childhood. We weren't childs. We had our childhood. Um, there, there were some traumas, there was some suffering, there was some level of challenges. And whatever those are for you, there's no judgment necessary on yourself for how you compartmentalized your emotions at a young age. Uh, no one should be judging somebody else for how they ultimately decided to take these challenges, these traumas, these sufferings, whatever, whatever unconscious, whatever of these unconscious needs were not being met by the mind, we manifested themselves in other ways that led us into addiction. Now, we're conscious of these needs, but the unconscious way that we're going about fulfilling these needs, right? We can on, honestly, I look at it a lot of the times and I think I consciously know how I'm fulfilling my needs. And if I step back and look at some of my behaviors, it's almost like there's a need below the need. And we talked about this in the, in the hub that often the need you think that you're fulfilling with a behavior um, if you were really to dissect it, there's actually something else going on underneath the surface. Like with Dilt's Pyramid, we utilize it to understand how to solve problems in our life. Right? So you've got your environment, you've got your behaviors, you've got your capabilities, your skills, your values, your beliefs, your identity, and your purpose. And <clears throat> excuse me, when you're looking for where in your life you might be having a challenge, uh, when you lay it over to this Dilt's Pyramid, you can start to understand like, oh, maybe uh, I thought it was my behaviors, but it actually turns out that it is my values and beliefs. And that, so I thought, you know, uh, my behavior is I, I would like to be running more often, but I'm not running. And it turns out that my belief is that uh, I'm unhealthy and I'm not a good runner. And if I start to shift my belief that I am healthier and I am, and I am getting, um, better at running by participating in that activity, then the behavior of running would become more inherent because we would start to believe that it is, we are capable of that. Not the best example, at least the way I think I just heard it. So I'm going to throw out one that I'm currently involved in. I am learning to jump rope. And I know that sounds insane because I think we all know how to jump rope, but I'm actually learning 
how to jump rope. For the longest time, I've watched people in the gym jump rope, and it looks like they're those speed boxers. And I've and I've just watched it, been like, I'm in awe of how fast they can move their feet and how nimble and quick they appear. But I have a belief system that I'm six foot three and 180 pounds, and that I'm just too tall and too big to be that nimble on my feet. Or I'm too old. I should have started it when I was 15, and now I'm 46, and it's just it's too late for me. When I see these people in the gym who are about my age who don't look like they, you know, are that much more in shape than me and they're bouncing around and they're tall and they're big. And I see boxers who are definitely tall and big and they're jumping around all nimbly, bimbly from tree to tree and they've got it going on. And so I want to practice my jump roping. I want to get better at my jump roping. So when I say I'm learning jump roping, it's like I'm actually learning the techniques that make someone, you know, good at it, not just doing it with my arms way out like you would, just, just like most people do. Simultaneously, I have wanted to learn to shuffle dance for quite some time. Wasn't too bad at it as a raver, but I really wanted to harness the ability to shuffle dance, obviously sober. And I came across um, this woman's TikTok or Reels account named Lauren.Jumps. And she took up jump roping during the beginning of the pandemic. And now you see her and she's phenomenal. And you watch some of her videos, and within a few months, she was already getting some damn steps down. And she was definitely keeping the the beat and the rotation of the jump rope uh, substantially more effectively than, you know, just by June or July of that year than she had been in May. Now, obviously, she's been doing it for a couple years, and she was doing it for, you know... Um, an hour a day for, you know, five, some days a a week. I mean, she was really putting some effort into this. So I come across her videos and I think, wow, I have this belief system that I'm too big and too tall to be able to jump rope. I also um, have this belief system that I'm too big and too tall and just too clunky to be shuffle dancing. And maybe there's even a part of me that thinks that shuffle dancing is, you know, more of a kid's sport, you know, because that's, you see the shuffle dancing videos on reels and they're all young and, you know, much more limber and agile than I am at this age. So that's a belief that I was holding on to. And then I saw this Lauren Jumps woman who clearly came into this whole thing. It wasn't like she was out of shape by any stretch of the imagination, but clearly she, she had been athletic at some stages of her life. I'm athletic at this stage of my life. And then I came across another person's TikTok, and this dude was straight up big, like tall and big. I mean, he's definitely hitting the 250 range. And I don't remember the name of his account, but I just I'm sat there watching him, and he's just shuffle dancing. And I was like, what the hell? This person's just bouncing. And I realized that this belief system I'm holding on to, that I'm too old, too tall, too big to shuffle dance and or jump rope, is it's, it's a belief that's holding me back from actually going for it. The behaviors that I can begin to modify in my life now are to start to jump rope more often, learn the techniques that will allow me to be able to do it more um, eloquently, you know, just basically be able to do it. And I start watching these videos and I start, okay, so I've been practicing the jump rope. I'm going to start shooting videos and putting them up on the TikTok and stuff because I think I'm going to make it part of like how you can begin to create new habits in your life. And I want to show this stuff on, right? Like I, I've shown all these different videos on how you can 
or I've talked at least about how I've released weight. I've talked about how I've written a book. I talked about how I launched podcasts or got into speaking or learned neurolinguistic programming. I've talked a lot about the things that I've done, but at no point I've ever really shown what it is I'm doing. And this one being athletic really opens it up to something that will be visually stimulating as well as fun to just guide everyone through. So in order to begin to reaffirm the belief that I'm someone who can jump rope and also shuffle dance, the behaviors need to be modified. I need to begin to jump rope. I need to begin to practicing shuffle dancing. So there's a capability and skill that I'm now going to need to form. Now, if we're on the DILTS pyramid, there's environment, behavior, capabilities and skills, values and beliefs. Let's just work within these four. Because the, uh, the two above, identity and, and purpose statements, one of the identity ones could be, I am a jump roper. I am a shuffle dancer. I can say these things. I don't have to be amazing at them. Any more than if you just picked up the guitar, you can say, I play the guitar. I am a guitarist. You don't have to be John Mayer or Jerry Garcia or you know Joe Satriani or any of the other amazing guitar players that I could rattle off. But you're still playing the guitar. People will say, well, I'm practicing the guitar. Well, you're also playing the guitar. You're playing it while you practice. You can't practice something and not also be playing it. All right, a football player is still practicing even if it's even if it's not on game day. They may not actually be playing it. They're out there playing football, even if they're running the same play over and over and over again, and technically it is during a practice session, they're still playing football. So even whenever you're quote unquote practicing, you're also playing. So that could be identity level. But I really want to stick to environment behaviors, capabilities, and skills, and values, and beliefs. So the environment of someone who would be jump roping is you got to be able to go outside. Well, I go outside all the time. I walk 10,000 steps a day. So since I walk 10,000 steps a day, I'm already putting about an hour, hour and a half into being outside and walking. So it turns out, and I think I always knew this, but I'm going to use the words turns out anyways, that if you have your Fitbit on and you've got your cell phone that's counting your steps, if you've got both of these things, they will actually be counting steps when you're jump roping. So now the hour to the hour and a half a day that I've been just getting steps, I could actually be practicing jump roping. So I'm not actually creating another hour and a half of of my day to just focus on jump roping. I'm actually just going to jump rope instead of getting my steps. So now the environment of going outside and getting my steps just becomes the environment of going outside and getting my jump roping on. The behavior will be to practice the jump roping every day. Got to get the 10,000 steps no matter what. Capabilities and skills will begin to improve. I'm watching her videos. There's a couple other people who are showing like where to put your hands and how long the rope should be. Turns out I'm jumping with a rope that's too long. Turns out I was jumping with the wrong kind of rope altogether. So I went to Amazon and I bought the right rope. And then it's long, just like they said it would be. So now tomorrow I'm going to shoot a video showing how clunky it is that I'm doing this now. I'm really not good. (laughs) And good's a total judgment word, but I'm not. You know, I get about 20 seconds into it and it's not as, it's not as, uh, I am not where I would desire to be. And a lot of it has to do to the length of the rope because I'm not able to get a good cadence down because this thing keeps whacking the ground. And in order to, it's the whole thing. You'll see the videos, but if you if you don't have your arms out really wide when the rope is long and you bring it in, then there's a lot of slack that whacks the ground. All right, so now one of my capabilities and skills is going to have to be learn how to shorten up a jump rope. And so there's all these new capabilities and skills I'm going to need to formulate in order to become a, a shuffle dancing jump roper. But I've seen videos of people who've been able to do this in two years. And I think, okay, I, if it takes me two years, it takes me two years. I'm going to be outside getting steps anyways. 
So my environment of going outside and getting steps is now just going to become the environment of going outside and jumping rope. My behavior will be to jump rope regularly and practice this like she did. And my capabilities and skills will gradually improve. And then my belief system around I am not a good jump roper and, and I am too big and clunky to be a jump roper or to be a shuffle dancer will begin to be replaced with I am a shuffle dancing jump roper. And now, now that changes the beliefs. And because I value discipline and hard work and determination and tenacity, then that means I want to stick with this. So on the Dills Pyramid, I have begun to currently shift myself. And I'll be talking about this as I go through it because I don't think that it's going to be super easy. But having watched her videos, I realized that the learning curve at the beginning, it's almost like you start off slow just trying to get down some of the basic cadences. And it seems like there's a very quick, like you, you, you'll pick up a lot more, a lot faster. And then it seems like at a certain point, you've just gotten really good. And now it's about practicing some of these moves and just continuing. So it's almost like it's a flat line that gradually goes up. Then there, it seems like there would be a bit of a spike and then a leveling off and then maybe another spike and a leveling off. And at some point, if you go watch your videos, she's just ridiculous. So I'm like, okay, I mean, <laughs> I'm going to be getting steps anyway. So why not do this? So I say all that because as I was, you know, all these unconscious motivational drivers. So before a few weeks ago, when I thought there's no way that, um, when I first came across her video, I was like, there's just no way I'm going to be able to pull this off. So I just watched all of her videos and realized, oh, okay, she's actually laying it out. If I just, instead of watching them and then going by and thinking, that's cool, I'd love to do that, I'm just going to start watching her videos as somebody who's actually going to learn them and do this. It's it's going to be a blast. And so this week, as I was putting this unconscious motivational course together, I realized that this is how it, I'm going to be able to show you guys not only how to utilize these unconscious motivational drivers to change something like drinking and, and turn it into something more advantageous for your life, but I'm going to show you how I'm actually going to put this entire thing together. And part of the reason I'm announcing it on the show is I just feel like it's a really great way to sort of be held accountable, have some of that social esteem where you guys will be like, oh, okay. Now, worst case scenario is I'm going to still be doing it and have a hard time editing and everything on TikTok because I'm not that great at that. But I figured, like, I'll just make that a thing, too. And I'll talk more about how I'm turning that capability and skill into something where I could say, oh, look, I am a TikToker because I post stuff. So I'm building all this stuff in my head. And I I went and got the jump rope, and I'm doing all this, and I'm super pumped about it. And so, you know, as I'm thinking it, that was not even supposed to be part of this show, by the way. I have no idea. I just, I feel like I just, I was just outside setting up the tripod with my iPad so I could videotape it and measuring the rope and practicing and, and maybe it's just on the tip of my tongue and I didn't really have a point for this podcast because it's been a super stressful week putting together this hub at the same time that I'm currently uh, searching at a house for my girlfriend and I to move into here in Huntsville and I, and I bring her out from Los Angeles here in a couple weeks. And then Monday we had the forgiveness um, meditation for recovery dharma. And a lot of people were talking about forgiving themselves for the misdeeds they've done in the past, not just to other people, but to themselves, to the amount of time we wasted, to the amount of energy we expended getting wasted, and, and the amount of harm we brought to ourselves, the amount of danger we brought to our, ourselves into because of our addictions and the th- places we would go to get high or the places we would go when we were wasted and wake up blacked out in. And then today we found out that the house that we had applied for, um, somebody else had scooped it on us. They had gotten it ahead of us. And it sort of sent me into a tizzy 
because I was sure we had gotten in early enough to get this one. I didn't know it had been on the market for a few months. I didn't think anybody else was going to be, had even remotely cared about it, let alone was going to get in before us. But I was wrong. And we got an email today saying that somebody else got the house. And so now all these plans that I had laid out before you know, me about, you know, going through, I'm going through this addiction or recovery specialist training next week. And so for five straight days, I'm going to be in classes for 40 hours for the whole week. I don't have time to go see other houses. This one house was supposed to happen. It didn't happen. Now what are we going to do? And I was in a very, very angry mood, a very angry mood. Like it was in the mood. And so we're going to finish the rest of this, this back half of the show talking about how I began to feel my feelings today and I and I chose to go a different path. Because the thing about forgiving ourselves for what we did in the past, I could be upset that I didn't start taking up shuffle dancing more when I was a teenager or a, a raver. I could, I could be you know pissed off at myself that I didn't take up jump roping more and not want to forgive myself for not stepping into something like that. And I get it. If you're sitting there like, dude, I did heroin and sold my body for sex and drugs and rock and roll. And you're talking about being forgiving yourself or jump roping and all this other shit. I get it. We all have our different things. I have plenty of other things I'm pissed off about. I'm just using those as examples. <laughs> We're all going to have things that we need to forgive ourselves for. right? Some are going to be gargantuan and some of them are going to be really tiny. The important thing to understand is that while forgiveness is a choice and forgetting isn't necessarily even an option because it's going to be in there and it's going to remember. When we get so upset with ourselves about what we did to ourselves or to others in the past, so much so that we ruminate on these things over and over and over and over again to the point where it's almost like we're living in the past all the time. We're not doing our present selves any favors can't go back and change anything from the past. Certainly with neuro-linguistic programming, NLP, we can go back and we can begin to heal that stuff, but we can't just make it go away. In my soup metaphor that's in the hub, I talk about how ingredients get added into our pot of stew, into our stew of life all the time. And sometimes we're not even aware they're being added until it's already there and they make the whole soup bitter, that your life is like this pot of stew. So you added in some horrible, horrible ingredients a long time ago when you were an active user. Some of them could be atrocious. Some of them were definitely not added in by you. They were traumas that happened to you because of somebody else's, you know, horrible, horribleness. Somebody else's desires to fulfill their needs then took advantage of you and put you in a position that you, you're sad or ashamed or feel guilty or angry or furious about. We can seek to heal those by just understanding we were doing the best we could with the resources we had, that those other people were doing the best they could with the resources they had. And even if their actions were horrible, duplicity, duplicitous, and just unspeakable and unfathomable, drinking that poison of hatred towards them is just going to kill us. It's not going to kill them. And in fact, that's what we were trying to do all those years of addiction. So when we ask ourselves, to forgive ourselves for what we've done in the past to ourselves. Taking anybody else out of the equation here, just what we can control, which is ourselves. You can only control you. You can only control your responses and reactions to what's happening in the present. You can't go back and fix it. 
Like I said in the meeting the other day, when you know better, it's your responsibility to do better. Your traumas are not your fault, but they are your responsibility to heal. Yes, it super sucks that you have to heal them, but it's it would be no different than, I don't know, you're running around and you're outside playing and, and you just trip over your own feet and you fall and you break your arm. Yeah, it sucks that you have to let your arm heal now, but it happened. It happened. I'm not saying that you need to necessarily go off and forgive everybody who did you misdeeds any more than you should expect everybody you did wrong to forgive you. But what we're seeking for is that forgiveness inside. Because that anger that's welling up inside of you, it's going to poison your body. And like the, and like the book, um, your, body, your Body Keeps a Score, I'm pretty sure that's the title, or Your Body's Keeping Score, it talks about how your body, all these little ailments, the, the, the soreness in your elbow, the pain in your knee, a lot of these are traumas that are trapped in certain parts of your body. And anybody who's an energy healer will be able to know exactly what I'm talking about. Or if you've gone through some level of energy healing, hell, even my chiropractor would tell me like, oh yeah, you've definitely got some trauma built up here. And he's, you know, he's a chiropractor. So your body, if your body's keeping score and these pains, these ailments you have are because you're holding on to these deep, dark inner hatreds towards yourself or others, then what you can do is you can begin with yourself. You can choose to release the, the things that you're angry with about yourself. You did whatever you did then, but you're doing whatever you do now. I don't know what my life would have been like if I had become a sports broadcaster or you know, a news anchor or an actor or all the things that I had hoped I was going to be able to achieve with my life. I don't know idea. But I'm pretty damn happy with who I am now. If you find yourself not being happy with who you are now, then we can start to look at these unconscious motivational drivers. And you know, what kind of career do you have? What kind of relationships do you have? What are you doing for your personal self to build your own self-care up? What are you doing with your free time? Because you're choosing how to spend your free time. And if you're in a job that you hate, and that's why you have a hard time forgiving yourself because you're in a job you don't like and you think if you'd have done a different decision in your 20s, you'd have a different life and a different job in your 40s, you can choose to start making time now to change that job. If that means getting some different education, if that means seeking out, I trust me, watching my girlfriend try to get this whole job thing figured out is was been exhausting and I, and I feel for her. So I know it's not just as easy as quitting a job you don't like and going and finding a job you do. There's a lot of effort into it. But if it's something that matters to you, you'll figure it out. Even if it takes years to accomplish, better to be a 50-year-old who finally has the job that they like rather than a 50-year-old who wasted the last 10 years being pissed off that they don't have the job that they want and doing nothing about it. For me, I believe I've been able to forgive myself for the misdeeds I brought upon myself because I've put so much effort into what it was I decided I was going to create for myself in my 40s. It wasn't enough just to quit drinking. I had to know why I drank so much. I had to know why I was doing these things to myself. And once I got into NLP and psychology and started realizing that all these patterns and habits and sequences and, and, and unconscious motivators are happening in my mind, I sought to reverse engineer how I used them to get me into addiction and to pursue addiction and start to use them to start to get me to pursue addiction recovery. And again, going back to the beginning of this podcast, when I said, I know it might be hard to hear you say me say that you pursued addiction, but these traumas in childhood happened. 
And then we, you know, somebody introduced us to an addictive substance. And again, it could have been drugs and alcohol. It could have just been somebody introduced you to video games. And nowadays we are literally handing children an addictive device and saying, here, use this to keep yourself entertained. It's not going to be, it won't be too hard to, to fathom so many youthful people getting into more addictive substances when they get older, considering they've been staring at a screen for so many years and that thing has just been habituating them to pushing buttons, looking for that quick, that quick uh, dopamine hit, the flooding of the serotonin into their brain. When that no longer can kick it off as much and then all of a sudden they're old enough to get their hands on alcohol and drugs and be around that stuff, I have a feeling we're going to see a gigantic uptick in addiction, even more so than we've already seen you know, in the aughts of 2000. So then we became somebody who pursued, right? Somebody introduced us to an addictive substance. We started to pursue addiction. It was one or two drinks and we didn't really like it. And it was only once in a while. Maybe it was a cigarette here or there, but we kept doing it. Yeah. Even though we didn't really like the taste or we really, or we coughed when we had that cigarette, we kept doing it and we kept doing it. We kept doing it. So even though we weren't necessarily enjoying it, we kept doing it. We were pursuing it. Like I'm going to not necessarily enjoy jumping rope every day. It might hurt my knees. I might whack myself in the face with a rope a lot, but I'm going to continue to pursue it even on the days I don't like it. And that's what we were doing with these addictive substances. And then before you knew it, we turned around and it was just something that was just sort of like, yeah, I mean, I like it. It's okay. Before you know it, it was like, I can't go a day without it. We pursued addiction even when our mind and our body were telling us no. Even when we woke up so hungover and we swore we'd never do it to ourselves again, as soon as we detoxed enough that our body and our mind were like, yeah, maybe one. We pursued it. And then we sat in that addiction and we got more and more angry at ourselves and more and more angry at the world for the life that we were choosing to create. And then at some point we got strong and we said, no more. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. And And at that point, we'd probably been sober curious for years. But that would be the next stage, right? We get sober curious. We're like, oh, maybe I could be sober. Maybe you go a week. Maybe you go just a few days, which hell, for somebody like me who would drink a 12-pack every day for years, just going a few days sober was something to you know write home about. And that was when the sober curiosity kicked in. And before you knew it, we started to step into sobriety. Maybe it stuck for three months, six months, nine months, 12 months. And maybe we tried that multiple times until one day we woke up at 40 in a bathtub full of our own shit and piss and blood and vomit and said, fuck this, I'm out. <laughs> And then we began the journey of sobriety. You know, then then it was then it was like sober curious and sobriety, and then long term sobriety, and then next thing you know, we get it, we get it, we're sort of addiction recovery curious, like we realize there's some stuff we need to deep dive into, but maybe I don't know if I really want to go back and try to touch up all that stuff again. I've got all this anger and shame and guilt and fear, and I don't know if I really want to unearth that. But once we get a little taste of it, maybe in a meeting we have a breakthrough, or our sponsor pushes us to feel beyond our limits, or a relationship that we care about asks more of us than we're used to to giving. And next thing you know, there's a shift inside of us and we're like, wait, 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 this is it. This feels good. This feels good because what was hurting to heal, it's like the arm that's broken. Yeah, it doesn't feel great in that cast, but it feels good, damn good coming out of it. That's how we were when we started getting into addiction recovery and healing those traumas from the past. May not felt good in the moment when we were crying in front of our therapist, but it felt sure as hell good. A few days later, once all of a sudden we had this pop and it was like, damn, I feel good. Damn, that feels healed. Oh, let's get more of that. 
Next thing you know, we're in addiction recovery, and then we're in long-term recovery, and we're starting to seek this higher sense of self. So when I think about forgiving myself for the misdeeds toward myself from the past, I just think about all the stuff that I'm doing right now to create this fullest potential, highest sense of self, Jesse. And I, and I choose to actively put more of my attention on that than being angry about my past. Where I am today is pretty damn good. Would I have been here today? But could, who knows? Who knows? Who freaking knows? Take left, take, you know, take left path over right path. Who knows? But where I am now, I'm pretty happy with. So as far as being angry at myself for the past and, and seeking to beat myself up for it and hold on to it so tightly that I can't even forgive myself. I choose to turn my attention towards creating the life I desire now than ruminating on the life I didn't create then. Because those were all expectations. I had expectations of who I was going to become. I had expectations placed upon me by other people. And then I didn't live up to those expectations, which were really just ideas. They were ideas that I had, ideas other people had, and I didn't follow through. And so this life I think I should have right now was all it ever really was, was an idea. And then it became an expectation of what I might be able to achieve. And who says I ever was going to be able to achieve that? So what am I really forgiving myself for? A made up expectation about an idea that I had about the life I could create? (laughs) It's like, it's like me picturing myself buying Bitcoin in 2009 when I could have bought $1,000 worth and I'd be a billionaire now and then not being able to forgive myself for that. First of all, I don't even know if I knew what Bitcoin was in 2009. And second of all, I'm just making up this this idea of what I should have done then, having an expectation of, of, of myself for something I didn't do in 2009 that I'm now going to be mad at myself for 13 years later. That, that doesn't make any sense. Why am I going to get mad at myself for coming up with an idea when I was younger and then setting an expectation that I would achieve it? And then when I didn't achieve an idea that I just randomly, you know, like whether it was randomly or whether it was well thought out, either way, it was just an idea of what my life could become. I set the expectation and then I didn't meet it. But we do that every single day. We have ideas. We say, oh, okay, I should do that. And maybe we do it for a few days and then we don't go back to it. It's like, yeah, whatever. There wasn't a a connection I made to some of those ideas that made it so that I would rather choose that over anything else. And addiction can do that to us. It can derail us so hardcore, so far off track that we look back and you're like, Jesse, come on, man. Like I spent... 10 years snorting coke or 10 years doing heroin or or 20 years drinking. And you're not going to tell me I shouldn't be mad at myself and not forgive myself for that. I'm not telling you to do anything. I'm just asking you to look in the mirror and ask yourself, is it serving you at all to beat the shit out of yourself over some decisions you made 20 years ago for a path that you didn't take for the path you did? And if you are currently looking in the mirror and you've got a ton of time to beat yourself up and ruminate on the past, I would ask you to ask yourself, what else could you be doing right now to entertain yourself, to spark yourself, so that you aren't beating yourself up? Because when you're in flow doing something that really matters to you, you're going to have a lot less energy to sit there and ruminate on the past and be pissed off about it. That's just a fact. 
You cannot be fully immersed doing something that really means a lot to you while simultaneously spending a majority of your brain energy being shitty towards yourself about decisions you made 20 years ago, 10 years ago, five years ago, a year ago, fuck last week. When you're in flow doing something that you're totally vibing with, you're not going to have time to be sitting there being pissed off. You're going to be totally immersed in the activity. Now, to me, I don't think that when I'm totally immersed in these activities and I'm trying to blunt away any of these emotions, I've spent my time diving into these emotions. I have looked in the mirror and said, I forgive you for the drugs at Ball State. I forgive you for skipping all those classes in sports broadcasting and instead going to the bar in the middle of the day and drinking. I forgive you for these. I've talked to myself about why it was I did that and the pain that came from my parents' divorce and from the lack of a father figure and all these other things that happened, right? For the instability in my childhood and the mom's shitty sheets and all that stuff. I, I, I've gone through that. So by no means do I think that I'm trying to hide from anything that I could be diving into. I've dove into it. But there is going to be that mind's tendency to want to go back to things that we've already cleared out. Hey, I I know you've already dealt with your mommy and daddy issues to a certain extent. But hey, while we're sitting here and you're trying to write a book, how about we sit here and ruminate on how dad didn't love you enough whenever you were in middle school and you got picked to go to that leadership conference in the eighth grade and didn't want to look at your suit? You sure you don't want to ruminate on that for like 20 more minutes? Because, I mean, do we really need to be writing this book? I think we should think about this one thing that happened 37 years ago and really make sure we screw that into the brain really, really deep and good. (laughs) and i'm like what are you doing mind we're good with that we took care of that we already cleaned out that closet we don't need to remember how dirty that closet was before we cleaned it out the closet's already cleaned it's already organized we're good there but the mind don't want to do that to you the mind won't want to bring back anger that you thought you already healed because it's just it's it's this unconscious habit it's almost like there's there's a part of the mind that says, well, if we completely release it and let it go, what do, then where's all this anger supposed to be focused on? Where's all where's all these negative emotions? But instead, I choose to to put my attention toward the good emotions. And it doesn't mean that anger doesn't come up. It doesn't mean that it doesn't fester. And it doesn't mean that I, there's some times where I get super angry and I'm like, okay, what am I really angry about right now? My there was a certainty that when my dad didn't care about my suit, I wanted the certainty that my dad loved me, that he was proud of me for getting good grades and getting invited to this leadership conference because I, I got spanked a lot when I didn't get good grades. So here I am with good grades, getting invited to a leadership conference, and the dick doesn't even want to see my suit. There was a lack of certainty and love and belongingness that was happening in that moment. Now let's fast forward to what happened today when we lost the house. There was a certainty that I had figured that out. Right there was the the love and belongingness that I seek to have with my girlfriend when we get her out here. Right now, all of a sudden, that it wasn't it wasn't ruined. She's still coming here, but the idea, this this expectation I had built around this house, had all of a sudden come crashing down. The house was no longer going to be ours. Now we had to go find another house. I really liked the way this one was laid out. The certainty of my future being in a house that looked like this was taken away. The belongingness and love that I'm looking forward to creating with her. You know, now the timeline on that was getting shaken. So there was this anger about this this idea that I had created, this new future I had created in my head. It was just a total vision. I was just making it up in my head. But I had set expectations that it was going to happen that way. And then when it didn't happen that way today, I got fucking furious. 
furious. I didn't take it out on her, but inside of me, I was a raging freaking inferno. I was 14 million acres of freaking Colorado forest on fire in the middle of July. I was just fuming on the inside. And when I felt my ears burning and I just wanted to get off that phone and just be furious, I just, I would even tell her, I was like, I'm just, I'm just angry. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just so angry about this right now. I would just stop and I would breathe. And I would just ask myself, what can I control right now? I can control how I am responding to this situation. Unlike when I was a kid and I got really upset with my dad and I started yelling down the stairs and I cried and I got all upset. Right? I, that was how child Jesse reacted to daddy not fulfilling his certainty and his love and belongingness need. But today I chose to fulfill my certainty and my love and my belongingness needs in a different way. Yes, I was angry. Yes, I was furious. But instead of hanging up the phone with her and just going off and getting some steps or being pissed off or trying to shoot this podcast when I was furious, I said, just wait, breathe. What can you do right now to control this situation? But you can control how you're responding to the situation. I was reacting with anger. I could be responding with grounded emotions. And this can be difficult for the addict. It's definitely difficult for me today. And I got five years in on this. To just stop it, because that's what I would do back in the day. I would utilize these kind of moments as a trigger to go off and get fucked up. Like, oh, this went to shit, and I don't know what to do, and I don't know how to solve it, and there's six other, there's all these websites with all these houses, and I don't know how I'm going to find a realtor, and I don't know how I'm going to find a person to show them to me. And I would just, I would make it even more chaotic in my head than perhaps it even really was. Or maybe it really was that chaotic, but I still hadn't taken any action towards fixing it, so then it wasn't going to get any better. So today I said, well, what can I do right now? I can stop. I can breathe. I know you're angry, but what are the websites you've been using? Let's get back on them. Let's look around. Let's, let's, let's do our best to find some alternatives. And even if that's all we do is find a few alternatives, at least that's one step closer to finding the right person to meet, to, to get us to show us that house. Two and a half hours later, we, we found a house that looks damn near identical. It's actually just a smidge bit closer to what we wanted it to be closer to. And while it's slightly more expensive, I was like, I'd say all in all, we came out winners. Bigger backyard um, and there's a gas stove, which matters to her. All right, so mostly it's the same house. I already put in our applications for it. And the realtor said that we were the, we should be the first ones with applications in unless somebody got them in two hours and we, we were fingers crossed that doesn't happen. And I'm telling you all these stories because while I'm sitting here looking to create these brand new habits around the identity of me as a shuffle dancing jump roper, and I'm looking forward to doing that, I'm also simultaneously balancing my emotions that are coming from bringing the girlfriend out here and finally having our own place and my own stuff around me and becoming more stable. And I've got 15 projects going on that are all extremely important to me, least to mention of them as the hub but it's the writing of my book and it's going to the addiction recovery centers. And I've got two different Alabama and Tennessee addiction recovery specialist trainings coming up in the next three weeks. Let's throw those on the plate too. On top of that, I've got all of this stuff about forgiveness running through me because there's so many things that back in the day, if I'd have stopped and I would have breathed and I would have actually surveyed the situation and realized that what I think is happening is just a bunch of stuff I created in my mind and it was never reality to begin with. So why am I getting so pissed off about it? Let's figure out what the next smallest, simplest step is and let's just take one step 
in that direction. Instead of getting furious and slamming the phone down and going off and walking in circles today outside and doing nothing toward finding a new house, I stayed in the moment. I felt my feelings. Even though the, the anger was, was, was firing up in me, each time we found another house that looked more and more like the one that we lost, each time we found another connection and I made another phone call and I set up another meeting and I set up another appointment to go see a house, all of a sudden that four alarm, five alarm, 14 million acre fire in the middle of the Colorado forest in July, it began to dissipate. Slowly but surely, I was, the next thing you know, I'm calm. And now, now hope, hope replaces it. Because I'm taking action towards solving the problem instead of burying my head in something else that isn't going to get me closer to a solution. I can't turn to alcohol and drugs anymore. I willfully chose to leave that world behind. I could have slammed the phone down and gone outside and done jump roping or walking steps because at least it's a physical activity and I could say, well, I'm not solving this problem about the house, but I am at least keeping myself in shape. But that wasn't going to get me anywhere near to solving the solution of the house. And it took us a little while, and we, and we found it on a random website that we hadn't even been looking at before, but because we both stayed in the uncomfortableness of not knowing what we were going to do, losing the certainty of one house, stepping into the uncertainty of no houses, all we're looking forward to is the love and belongingness we'll feel whenever we both get together and creating this life together, right? All that uncertainty was all around that. But we stayed in that uncomfortableness. We kept seeking out an answer, kept seeking out a solution. I know she could feel me, my, my, I know she could feel it. And I could feel it from her too, but I really feel like I amped mine up. And normally I'm able to just be like, ah, man, we're going to figure it out, man. Don't even worry. It's all good. Chocolate, bro. Don't worry. This will, this will be fine. I wasn't feeling it for a couple hours, but I stayed in it. I stayed in it. No matter how uncomfortable it was, I stayed in it because I knew the only way out of it was to be in it. The only way out of it was to stay in it. Because running and burying my head in the sand or in the jump rope or in my tennis shoes, outside walking, getting steps, or picking up the microphone and shooting a podcast when my anger was at 99 instead of being at you know somewhere more reasonable like 10, <laughs> I had to stay in it. Now, I'm not saying every situation that's that going to happen in your life dictates that you should stay in it. But I just want you to bring into your awareness whether you're turning your back on solving the problem and going and burying your sand in Netflix or ice cream or the gym or gossiping or TikTok or whatever it might be. All these stories that I told you today, and hell, everything I've ever introduced you to, it's up to your own personal awareness to, to, to decide for yourself what is your best course of action. I can give you my opinions. I can give you my beliefs. I can give you my experiences. You are the one standing there looking at yourself in the mirror saying, what am I going to do now? Today, my what am I going to do now? Part of me was like, just go run, jump, skip, shoot a podcast. Even if it sucks and you don't ever use it, it's at least an hour you can hide behind a microphone. But I didn't. Instead, I sat in front of that computer and I let my ears feel like they were on fire until I started it, until we started coming up with solutions. Because it was a her and I thing. If I've been using I during this, trust me, there was a lot of we. <laughs> there was all we in this. But we figured it out. And now today we're going to be able to go to bed knowing we got applications in and this house is going to be ours. And if it isn't, then you know what? I'm going to sit there and I'm going to bury myself behind the computer and I'm going to find another one. Because we're not going to take no for an answer. 
So instead of sitting here right now, having to look back at what I did four hours ago and forgive myself for not taking the next smallest step, for not working towards what it was I knew I wanted to achieve, I sat in it and now I can look back and I can be proud of myself that I didn't run from it, but instead I stayed in it and I figured it out. Back in the day, you didn't stay in it. You didn't figure it out. You ran from it and you ran straight to the bottle or the needle or the straw or the the pipe or whatever it was. Today, you can choose to do differently. And now I don't have to ask myself forgiveness for my behavior at four. I can pat myself on the back and say, way to go. This is going to be a great story to share on the podcast. And you can too. And the more you, you want to love yourself, you really want to learn to love yourself again. Start standing up to your own word. And you say you're going to do something, do it. Because it's just like a relationship with another human. You build love through trust and experiences. And when you say you're going to pick them up at seven, you pick them up at seven. When you say you're going to do something, you do it. When you say you're going to be there for them to support them, you're there for them and you support them. Relationships are formed through these experiences that bond us, that show that there's trust. And And when you show trust, that's a way of showing love. And the more that you say you'll do something and then you follow through with it, right, to the best of your abilities and all that stuff, right, the more you say you're going to do something and you follow through, the more trust is there. The more trust that is formed, the more love that is formed. So you want to love yourself. When you say you're going to do something, do it. Because in yourself, it's going to see yourself doing the things for yourself you said you wanted to do for yourself to achieve the life that you've desired for yourself. Say that 10 times fast. Yourself will see yourself doing the things for yourself that you told yourself you wanted to do for yourself in order to achieve the life you've always desired for yourself. I may not be able to go back and change everything I did in the past, and I don't necessarily ever want to forget it. I'm I'm okay with Junk Jesse sitting in the back. We've duct taped his mouth. He gets to watch me create the most amazing life ever, ever. And I can forgive him, but I'm not going to forget the things that he'd done because there's lessons there. But I'm no longer going to walk around with the pain and the sadness and the trauma anymore. Instead, I'm going to do things for myself now that will heal me while simultaneously working on the best version of my life. There are things that are much, much, much more important going on now that I'm creating for my future than ruminating on my past and beating myself up for shit I did 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago. Don't even have, don't even want to, don't even, don't want it, don't need it, don't care for it, go away. I'm not hiding from it. I've done the job. I've cleaned out the closet. I've reorganized it. I've compartmentalized it. I've healed it. I've cried. I've shedded my tears. I've done my journaling. And once in a while, some things pop up. I'm not saying I've cleared it all, guys, but I'm saying that I've done my work. So when it's time to do the work I need to do today to create the life for myself that I seek to achieve, I'm not going to sit here and spend brain energy beating myself up over some shit. There's times to do that meditation and journaling and reading some book. There's other times to do that. There's also time to create, to create the life that you desire for yourself. And when and inevitably you're going to have a plan and it's going to go off the tracks, it's going to go off the rails, and maybe you're going to feel a four alarm fire fi- setting your ears on fire, middle of Colorado forest blazing down in the middle of July. And it's going to be in those moments that I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to ask you to ask yourself, is running away from what I'm feeling right now actually going to resolve this? Or do I need to sit in it, take a deep breath, and ask myself, what can I do to find the solution? And then take that step. And you've got some free time, maybe pick up a jump rope, send me over a video. I'd love to know if you're doing that too. I just want the best for your life. And sometimes the only way I know how to tell you 
uh, or show you or explain to you or, or guide you towards seeking that for yourself is to just walk you through the, the insanity that is my mind. That I'm putting all these puzzle pieces together with you live over the microphone. And it's not always beautiful and I don't always say the right thing. But in the end, it's putting it out there, doing what I can. If it guides you to see this in yourself, then I feel blessed that we had this opportunity together today. Because today could have gone a completely different way, but instead it went in a much, much more desirable direction. And now there's nothing necessarily I need to forgive myself for. I'm not going to beat myself up for getting angry. It just, it just was what it was. But now I may be able to go to sleep tonight knowing that not only did I know better, but I did better. And in the future, that's going to increase the belief that I that I can figure things out even when they're chaotic. I am a person who figures things out. That's an identity statement I can I can go to bed tonight and feel confidently about. And I know that you can do that too. Ask yourself how is your environment creating the behaviors and the skills that will increase your values and belief system around yourself. Nothing that anyone else you see achieving in their sobriety and recovery is not attainable by you. The question is, will you stop Get emotionally grounded, breathe in deep, and then ask yourself, what's the next smallest step to taking me towards the life I've always desired? That, my friends, answer that question. And you may have just found your own holy grail. As always, my friends, inclusivity over exclusivity, the power of positive energy, release and flow every day is the best day of my life because I woke up sober. Shout out to sunshine, glow on. See you next week. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm.